Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Thank you so much for joining live online this morning. It's Coronavirus Sunday number two, I guess, is uh, what we're going to call this. And I'm really glad that you are joining in whatever uh, social media platform you are joining on, whether it's Facebook Live or Instagram or on our website. I'm really glad that you are here today. And I can't wait for that day when this room is filled again and we are all together. Uh, And I want you to know as your pastor that I am praying for you. I am praying with you. And we, as a staff, are praying for you, and we're praying for an end um, to this virus. Today, we are continuing in our series. In fact, we're bringing it to an end, as Justin mentioned before. We're bringing our series to an end, Losing My Religion. We're in week eight. Yep, it's week eight. And uh, we're bringing it to an end today. And the song that we just sang, that, that song of declaration, of declaring the fact that we have been made free in Christ is really where we are going to land today and how we're going to end this series. And we have been walking through in this series this this contrast between um, what it means to be religious and what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And those two things couldn't be more different. They couldn't be more different. They are incredibly different. Religion is based on rules and rights, and it's based on um, righteousness, self-righteousness, it's based on doing good, it's on good works, it's based on ritual. And a relationship with Jesus is based on what we just sang about, and that is the fact that we can have an abundant life in Christ, a genuine journey with Jesus because of what he did on the cross, not based on anything that we did or anyone else did. And today, we come to a conclusion on that. We're going to be taking a look at this idea of freedom, this idea of freedom. You know, as as a history guy, I love history, and as a history guy, um, a lot of what we learn about history and a lot about what we see um, on TV or maybe in the movies or even things that we read about aren't necessarily true. I love the picture that was painted years ago of the Declaration of Independence, where all of these men, 57 of the original signers of, of the Declaration of Independence, uh, were painted in this very kind of sanitized, if you will, it's kind of a popular word today, room in the summer of Philadelphia. And they all looked nice, and every, they were all dressed to the nines, and they, they looked great. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, it was 1776. It was the summertime, and it was Philadelphia, and most of them lived hundreds of miles away. It didn't look like that at all. I'm sure it wasn't um, um, air-conditioned. It probably wasn't even a, a lot of movement of air in that assembly hall that day for that convention. But they signed the Declaration of Independence, and a lot of experts believe that the way we viewed it was completely wrong anyway. They probably did it over a period of weeks and, and weeks and weeks because some of them couldn't get there together. My view of the the Emancipation Proclamation is is that on that day of January 1st, uh, 1863, that when the, the people who had been in slavery in America were declared free, when that date rolled around, my view when I was young was all of a sudden, all of those who had been in slavery were free. But the reality is a lot different. It's a lot worse. Because over the course of the next 100 years, people didn't understand what true freedom was all about. It took 100 years. In fact, it took over 100 years for us to get really serious as a country about what it meant to have people be truly free. 
And it's amazing to think about the fact that it was a hundred years later, more than a hundred years later, that Martin Luther King Jr. had that speech that he gave that meant so much to America. And he said, free at last, free at last. And it was even a year after that that the Civil Rights Act was passed. And we still deal with it today in many different forms. It's interesting how there are people, there were people over those 100 years that, that, that they, they may not have understood what was going on, but they kept pulling us as a country back to a place where slavery was something to be admired and valued. I don't understand how that can be, but it took 100 years for us to undo and unleash this idea of the fact that people were in slavery. And I gotta be honest with you, from a spiritual standpoint, I think that that happens so much in our lives. We may embrace spiritual freedom in Christ, but what happens is is we may have people whispering in the background. They may be whispering in our ears or they may be shouting to us that freedom doesn't really mean true freedom. And wherever you are today, whether you're a Christ follower or whether you've been kind of pulled into this live online experience and happened to stumble upon us today, or maybe someone invited you to be there in their kitchen, I don't know, with your pajamas on, having breakfast this morning, um, wherever you have come to this place, I want you to know that spiritual freedom in Christ means full freedom in Christ immediately and for good. Doesn't matter who's trying to tell you that there's something of good works or there's something that rules or something that the law plays in this whole idea of being a Christ follower. The truth of the matter is that once you have believed, once you put your faith in Christ, freedom is yours. It's not freedom at last, it's freedom in an instant. And so often we walk away from that freedom. It's this amazing story of the Apostle Paul, and we've been looking at the the life of the Apostle Paul, kind of using his lens to take a look at this idea of relationship versus religion. We've been using his story. And there's a great story. It's recorded in the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles or if you're on YouVersion, um, you can turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to fast forward to Philippians chapter 3 here in a few minutes, so you can go ahead and find that. But there's this interesting story that um, Luke writes. Luke wrote the book of Acts. It's really a continuation of his gospel message called Luke. And so he writes the story of the first church. And there's this interesting story on one of these missionary journeys that the apostle Paul was on. And he's on this missionary journey, and he's in this area of, of Macedonia. It's kind of the, the area of modern-day Greece. And they're, they're preaching the gospel. They're spreading the gospel. And in, in Acts chapter 16, it talks about actually how they were stopped in Asia from preaching the gospel for a period of time. We talked about that last week when we talked about having full access to God. Uh, but they, they, they press on, and they continue to spread the gospel into this new Gentile world. And they're doing that, and they come upon this, this little girl who's a slave girl. And, and she is um, kind of, she's possessed, and her owners like the fact that she's possessed by uh, an evil spirit because she can tell fortunes. And people would flock to this little girl, to, and she would give them a picture of their future, and they would pay the owners money to do so. 
And so Paul encounters this little slave girl as he comes in to this place and almost dismissively says kind of, you know, get away, uh, you know, uh, these evil spirits need to leave you. And, and, and they heal this little girl. And the slave owners are really pretty ticked at Paul and Silas and Timothy, who was with them at the time. And they're, they're a little irritated. They must have been people of some means, some power, because they had these men arrested. And we find them in jail. In fact, they were put in uh, the stocks. They were put down in the furthest part of the jail. They weren't just put in the outer area of the jail. They were put in a place where they couldn't possibly get out. There was no possible way. The Bible says that their, their ankles were put in chains. And that night, there was a jailer who was supposed to be watching over them, and they, they were down deep, and there's no way they could have gotten out. But I want you to see what happens in Acts chapter 16 to these men who were serious about spreading the gospel. Look at Acts 16, verse 25 through 31. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. By the way, during this time when we are all at home and where we're quarantined, um, it's hard to give praise to God. I realize that. There have been many moments over the past two weeks that I have not been giving praise to God. I assure you that. But I love the fact that in the midst of their greatest crisis, they praise God. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke, I love the fact that the jailer's asleep in this story that Luke writes. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword. And I love the first time you've ever read this story, you're thinking, okay, he's going to go after these prisoners. No, he's not going after the prisoners. He's scared to death that he's been a part of this and he's the problem because they all are now free. And it says there that he drew his sword and was about ready to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And I love Paul in this moment. This man who was the great Christian killer decides in that moment, he cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. We're not leaving. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I love that this miracle that came from God, and we'll talk about the miracle in a moment, caused this jailer to ask the most important question that we as humans should ask, and that is, what must I do to be saved? And they said this in verse 29, or excuse me, in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all your household. I love this passage for a lot of reasons. I love the fact that the jailer was asleep. He was, you know, not doing his job that he was supposed to be doing, kind of like one of those you had one job to do, and in that moment you were asleep. He fell asleep at the wheel. And I love the fact that Paul and Silas are there in stocks. They're down in the deepest part of, of, of this jail cell, um, and there's no possible way that they could have gotten out. 
There's no way that a jailbreak could have happened. There's no way that they had anyone in their group of people who could have gotten them out. Listen, they needed a miracle. To get out of this jail cell, to be freed in this moment, because they healed a little slave girl, that's how they found themselves in prison, they needed a miracle. And church, I want you to hear just in the moment, it's not the whole point of this message, but I want you to hear today that we need a miracle right now, don't we? We need a miracle. And I want you to know that the God that allowed Paul and Silas to be freed and allowed this jailer to become a Christ follower, he's the same one that can provide a miracle right now in our present crisis. He's the same God that can provide a miracle and bring an end to this virus. And as we talked about last week, we, as the people of God, need to pray for that. We need to pray big, bold prayers that God would bring this to an end, that his will be done, but our request is that he bring it to an end. And so here are Paul and Silas, these, these men who are in those chains, and all of a sudden, because they needed a miracle and God performed a miracle, all of a sudden, they see their freedom, and the jailer's the one that walks them out into their freedom. But I love the fact that because they were freed, he asked that most important question. And here's the point for you this morning. Please, I want, don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Today, you may be someone who keeps going back to this religiosity that you know, this kind of religious way of living and trying to obey all the list of do's and don'ts that you were brought up with. Maybe you're trying to impress someone with how spiritual you are. Maybe you're trying to point out how much you know about the Bible versus someone else, and you are just stuck in this religious place. Or maybe you're someone who's been searching for a long time, and you've had something that has just absolutely overwhelmed your life, and you've gotten to the place where over and over and over again, you were about ready to decide to give your life to Christ. You're about ready to, to let go of everything that kept you in bondage, and you just kept saying no. I want you to know today that you can have freedom from that past. You can have freedom from that religion. You can have freedom from whatever it is that has you in bondage. And when we walk in our own freedom, that is something that gets other people excited about them walking in their freedom. You see, freedom for you may lead to freedom for those around you. It did for these young people who were preaching the gospel, who had been arrested, who had been thrown in jail, who were trying to do the right thing, and they found themselves slaves physically. But when they received their freedom, it meant freedom for someone else. Freedom for you may mean freedom for someone else spiritually. And I want you to know today that your freedom is not only about you. It's about showing the world who Jesus is and the freedom that they can have in him. Freedom for you may lead to freedom for those around you. 
They needed a miracle, and they received a miracle. The, the people of that day and age, they needed another a miracle as well because these new um, Jewish Christians, these people who had been Jews, who had followed the letter of the law, who now had Jesus come onto the scene, and he had undone everything. He had said that uh, a relationship with God is not based on rules. It's not based on the law. It's not based on how good you are. It's based on faith alone. It's based on grace alone. You see, these people who had decided to follow Jesus always came up against people and groups of people that wanted to pull them back. And just a few weeks ago, we talked about how uh, the Apostle Paul confronted one of his fellow workers because this fellow worker began to kind of go back with these Judaizers, these people who were trying to bring rules into grace. They were trying to bring good works into grace. You see, the, the Christians of that day, the people who were Christ followers, they believed that salvation was found through faith in Jesus alone, that it was all based on grace. But they couldn't get past, some of these Judaizers couldn't get past this idea that there must be good works that good works must play a part. And so was, there was always this pullback, and we see it once again in Philippians chapter three, and I want you to catch this. This is so interesting. Paul's writing this, this letter, this word of encouragement to the church in Philippi, and he says this, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. And then he says this, and I want you to pay attention to, to two words in this passage that I want to look at today that are really different than what we looked at a few weeks ago. He says this, look out for the dogs. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about these Judaizers. He's talking about these people who um, were followers of Christ, but always inputted works, always inputted rules, always tried to insert rules and works and goodness into grace. He says, look out for the dogs. He says in verse three, for we are the circumcision. That's a reference to what he just mentioned about mutilating the flesh, that they wanted them to go back to this thing. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, so I'm not gonna go over that again. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I, I want you to capture what Paul does here. I love this in verses four through six. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone, he says, thinks, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in flesh, in the flesh, he says, I have more. I have more confidence to be in the flesh. Circumcised, he gives his, his spiritual resume here. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the priestly tribes, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, he says, a Pharisee, someone who knew the law inside and out. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He said that he obeyed the law perfectly. He obeyed the law perfectly. He was blameless. But then look what he says in verse seven. He says, but, but, whatever I 
gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. And look at verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. In order that I may gain Christ. And he says in verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that having breakfast right now. And so I'm not going to go into the details of the word, but I want to let you know it would have been shocking. He would have essentially taken his resume and torn it up to pieces and said, all of those good things that I was, all of those things that once made me righteous, it is gone. It's rubbish. It's trash. And so Paul says it is worthless. And Paul understood that we today needed to, to, to fight against those who would pull us back into a list of rules. How does this play out today? It played out in a very real, meaningful way back then. How does it play out? Well, I think it plays out internally in us that we, we, we may have like a spiritual self-righteousness kind of internally that we, we think we're better than someone else. We might have spiritual um, self-hatred where we think, your life that um, you have had spiritual regression because you look at the list of rules that's been handed down by a parent or a teacher or a pastor and you say, I can't possibly, I can't possibly attain that. And so your idea of God is not the God of the grace of the gospel. And so maybe you've had spiritual regression where you've turned your back on God because of someone else. Or maybe in your, your own life, it, it has caused spiritual aimlessness, just kind of being tossed about in your spiritual life. And so I think this plays out sometimes internally in our lives, but it also plays, it out, plays out itself out when, in our interactions with each other. We have a spiritual self-righteousness where we think that we're better or we think we know better or we think we're smarter than someone else and we make that known. Maybe not directly, but maybe indirectly or maybe it's a spiritual arrogance based on how much knowledge we have. I read an article this past week that talked about the different damaging people in the life of a church and it listed the most damaging person in a church as someone who is spiritually arrogant, intellectually arrogant. And that can be damaging in a church. And maybe, maybe it's spiritual um, oppression where we use our goodness to oppress others. All I know is, is that what Paul wrote in, in that passage there in Philippians showed us that religious rituals and rules do nothing to make us right with God and only keep us in this place of being slave and slaves to sin. Religious rituals and rules, and by the way, righteousness, do nothing to make us right with God and only keep us in slavery to sin. Real freedom, real freedom is found 
in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Real freedom is found when we find our abundance in Christ. And what better time in our lives to find that right now, to embrace that right now, to maybe, for some of you, to get back to that right now, to embrace this idea that we are free at last, that we have been freed by what Jesus did on the cross. We're bringing this series to a close, and and in our normal services right now, I would have a time of commitment that we would have right now, but I don't know about you. I don't think there's anything stopping us from doing that right where you are. And if you're driving down the road, I want you to be careful. Don't do this right now, all right? You can do this later. You can come back and watch the last few minutes of this message. But I'm going to ask our band and our worship team to come up here this morning because a lot of you are watching at home. A lot of you are watching with a select few, hopefully, of your family members. Maybe you're at a viewing party on Facebook Live and you're watching, you guys are sharing ideas back and forth. But today what I want to do is I want us to have a time of commitment. Because if we've walked through this series and realized that um, Paul was doing something different, he was doing something unique with these Christ followers, these early Christians, and if we walk through this whole series and realize that Paul and these these new messengers of the gospel message were trying to communicate this idea that it's all about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts, nor is it about grace plus anything else that we might do to make what Jesus did on the cross any better, that what he did was everything that we need and that we can walk in that alive free with abundance if we walk through this whole series and just let it come into our ears and let it maybe sink into our mind but it doesn't penetrate our heart we've done nothing it's been a waste of time and i don't like to waste time yours are mine i want it to be meaningful to our hearts and i would imagine that over the course of these last few weeks there have been a few of you that um something is, has gone on. Maybe a light's gone on in, in your heart. Maybe, maybe something new has happened in your life. Who knew that we would face this level of difficulty when we started this series? We had no clue. No clue. Maybe being cooped up in your house for all these weeks and days has caused you to really think about your life and your purpose and your worth. And maybe for some of you, you, you've realized that there's something that's holding you back, like the chains are off, but you're still down in the dungeon. You've gotten used to the light being off. You've gotten used to the shadows and the darkness, and you're just kind of living in that place. Or maybe for some of you, it's been some kind of oppression from your past, someone in your life who maybe even today is still insinuating or implying that they're better than you spiritually, that they're more holy or righteous than you, that there's something that you're missing. By the way, I want to let you know, for those of you who are hurting spiritually because someone with spiritual pride or arrogance suggested that, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
But maybe today your freedom is accepting healing from the one who can heal all of our wounds. And by the way, kill every disease. Maybe for some of you, it's letting go of something that you just keep coming back to you that maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's good, but it's not, it's not consistent with the freedom that Jesus died to give you. Or maybe for some of you, it's stunted your spiritual growth so much that you haven't engaged with God's word in years and you're afraid. Maybe it's fear. So today I've written a prayer and it's a very short prayer. It's a declaration of sorts. But I haven't finished it because I want you to finish it. And if you're at home, if you're a declaration of sorts. But I haven't finished it because I want you to finish it. And if you're at home, if you're not driving, um, I want to encourage you to get your, your iPhone or iPad or whatever device you use or maybe a piece of paper or a sticky note. And I want to encourage you to complete this prayer. And I'm going to give you... Um, a little bit of time to do that. Here's the way the prayer starts. It starts like this. God, in losing my religion and embracing a real relationship with you, help me to, I want you to fill in the blank. Maybe it's some way that you've realized over these past few weeks that you're being judgmental and condescending and condemning spiritually to someone else. Maybe for you it's a hurt that you have that you need to give to him. Maybe it's a fear you have. But finish the prayer today. Finish that prayer. And I want to give you just a few seconds here this morning to think about that. You can even wait until we're done with this next worship song. But in a moment, just a few seconds, I want to pray for you. But I just want there to be a moment of kind of silence for you at home to just take a look at what it is that's holding you back from a vibrant, abundant relationship with him and give that thing to him. Would you do that over these next few moments? Father, may your Holy Spirit lead and work and do what you want to do. Father, you're using two invisible things to change the world right now. A terrible virus and the internet. And God, I pray that you would right now use these two things in our world to change people. Father, I pray for those who are far from you, that they would come back to you. God, I pray for those who have never embraced you. God, I pray that today would be the day that they accept you as their savior. Father, I pray for those who have been in spiritual bondage to be freed. God, I pray for those whose chains came off years ago, but they've stayed down in the pit of the dungeon. God, help them to walk out into the light, out of the shadows, into the freedom that you died for. And God, I pray that you would help us to never go back again, ever. God, may we as your people, because of what you did on the cross, realize what a great God you are. 
how you are the one that makes a way when there seems like there's no other way, that you are the one that caused that jailhouse to be shaken to its foundation so that these men could walk out into their freedom and so that another could walk into his spiritual freedom. Father, may you do that in our day, in our lives, in our nation, in our world. May we see you as the one who's a great promise keeper and one who casts light in every bit of the darkness. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. And we thank you for salvation. And we give you all the glory for that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.